I'm Monica Johnson with Marshall Weber, and this is Brooklyn Calling. Welcome to our show, where we talk about artists, libraries, and social justice. Uh, Marshall and I are both artists who head up Brooklyn Inc., an artist nonprofit uh, located in Brooklyn, New York, on the unceded land of the Muncie Lenape people. And we created Brooklyn Calling to amplify the voices, uh, voices within the artist book field um, and to explore art making as a tool for community engagement and for social change. And today we're really excited to have uh, two members of the collective Mobile Print Power here to talk with us. Um, they are a multi-generational printmaking collective based in Central Corona and Corona, Queens, which is New York City. They started as a weekly printmaking and political education workshop at Immigrant Movement International, also known as EMI Corona. Uh, that was in March 2013. And over time, as the regular participants in the workshop began to emerge as co-facilitators and co-organizers and began to refer to themselves as a collective. And since 2013, they've been using a methodology for participatory design in public spaces that includes two portable silkscreen printmaking carts to engage communities and to explore social and cultural situations. I uh, can't wait to hear about that. Um, to, to, to transmit the work that they co-create with the community, they make books and prints and public sculptures. And each project they do reflects their commitment to social justice and their belief in the value of shared artistic production. And so the occasion of talking with Mobile Print Power today is that um, this winter, Brooklyn and Mobile Print Power uh, is launching a brand new box set collection that includes prints and other ephemera, um, no spoilers or anything, but it does include candy and fake money and Polaroids <laughs> and silk screens. <laughs> and, um, the ephemera also like describes the, gr the group's history and its practice uh, through almost now 10 years. Um, and it's quite a big project undertaking as I understand it because a, a lot of original, I mean, not original, but like new thinking and question asking um, was undertaken by the group. And so a lot of really new um, parts of the process have been documented. Um, and I can imagine this is an important uh, benchmark in the group's progress in history, given that we're at a different point in the pandemic and, um, you know, any cultural production uh, has taken a new shape. But um, let me say hello. This is uh, Jose Benitez and Jess Epstein. Hi, Jose and Jess. Hello. Hello. So um, Jose and Jess, uh, we were just talking about how we wanted to start. And I really am in love with the eight principles that I've come to know as like the group sort of guiding uh, infrastructure or framework. And so uh, Jose and Jess are going to read those to us and then we'll take the conversation from there. I'll do the first one. So we're more print power. We have eight principles. The first one is we engage ourselves to the task at hand. We value the skills, knowledge and experiences of all people, regardless of age or formal education. We honor all community traditions and respect all community voices. We recognize that dignity has no nationality and we oppose racism. 
We want equality across the gender spectrum and we oppose sexism. We reject violent words and violent actions. We value all forms of written, spoken language and other forms of communication. We believe in the power of collaborative and collective work. We are Mobile Print Power. Jose and Jess, I would love for you to sort of introduce yourselves and and how you got involved with Mobile Print Power um, and if there's like a past and a present version of how that's evolved, I'd love to hear about that. The way I put it is, um, I was a senior in high school. I like graphic design, graphic novels, and art making in general. And I had two, three friends, Jennifer, Lerone, Brandon, that were already members of Mobile Print Power. And they invited me to a meeting one week. And ever since, I've never stopped going. <laughs> I got involved with Mobile Print Power in 2015. Um, I went to an event at PS1 that was put on by Naturally Occurring Cultural Districts. Um, there were a number of organizations there, including Mobile Print Power, and um, I really just liked the the work that the group was doing. And at that time, I was really used to um, like traditional structures of nonprofit community arts organizations. So my approach was like, oh, how can I volunteer? And you know, the reaction from some of the collective members was like, well, you just gotta start showing up. Um, so kind of like Jose, I just. <laughs> started showing up and it's been yeah I mean 2015 I can't believe like seven seven years so um that's sort of my journey into it by way of like a longer personal background and um interest in arts education and community engagement thank you for sharing that and 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 maybe for the listeners who might be just dipping into this conversation and going, wow, this sounds really great. Like mobile print power there, you know, I like these people. I like how they got involved. I love their principles. Uh, What they might benefit from knowing, like what is mobile print power for anybody who just doesn't know like what mobile print power is? Like, how would you describe that if someone were to ask you point blank? Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely can only really answer for, for myself. And so maybe Jose, feel free to jump in too, but um, you know, for me, mobile print power is a little bit fluid. I think first and foremost, we're an arts collective that operates in like a horizontal structure and we are multi-generational. Um, it's a little funny to me that we're a couple min- minutes into this conversation and we haven't really said anything in Spanish. You know, those principles that we wrote <laughs> are in English and in Spanish. And that's, you know, we're bilingual and we try to be as inclusive of language as possible, but um, we work with the community in various ways, like you said. So a lot of our work is based around questions and is circumstantial depending on the work that we're doing and who we're working with and which bases those are in. So it's kind of a tough answer. Um, but I think right now, mobile print power is also in a process of evolution. Like you mentioned, this box set has been something that um, was a big undertaking and is still ongoing for us. And so Um, The pandemic shifted a lot of the work that we do because so much of it was public facing. It was taking our silkscreen cart out into the community and doing workshops with people either in the streets and parks and community spaces. And a lot of that shut down. So now we're we're evolving again and um, we're trying to, I think, figure, figure out what we are and what we look like 
how we want to move forward um, in the next couple of years and, and what works best for the people who are participating in building this collective. And I'll add two more things quickly about what I think Open Power is. I would say it's just a place where we just like hang out, make designs, get get paint on our clothes and just <laughs> chill in my head. But also for me, I can speak personally um, for myself I and mean, some, some of the other younger members that joined the same time I joined, we kind of entered more print power, transition from high school to adult life and college. So like our relationship with more print power helped shape and our shape and form our connection to the art world and in New York City in general. Could you talk about what the meetings looked like in person before the pandemic and like just kind of, you know, give us an idea of what that felt like or what kind of the building blocks were? What did you do there? Where was the place? How many people showed up? And um, and then maybe describe a little bit about how those the virtual meetings look or feel at this point. So it would just be either like a long row of two tables connected with like a lot of white chairs next to it, books everywhere, pencils. Someone's probably playing music. Patrick's running around trying to get paint. People are messaging people where they are because they might be running late. The train's jammed. (laughs) We have new people that are sitting down quietly, not knowing what's happening. We are telling a new person to come downstairs and pick up paint. They're like, what's downstairs? We're like, just come. It's fine. It's, it's a mixed bag of people that always show up, our core members, new people that drop by. Uh, sometimes a random family drops by, like the mom, the dad, and the two kids. Then we have to trans- transition the language from English to Spanish. So it's a lot of running around, figuring stuff out. But at the end of the day, focusing on introducing ourselves, what we're working on, and how they can join. And if they want to do more work, we're more than willing to give the new people more work to help us out. And where did these take the meetings take place? It's um in Corona, off the 7 train, like a 10-minute walk from 103rd Street. And when we're not meeting there, it's usually either we host public meetings in other cultural institutions around the city. So sometimes, as you mentioned before, we'll be doing public art workshops, Interference Archive. We'll be doing different museums. We had um, PS21, I believe, recently. or Not PS21, but another collaboration we did recently. I just think it's so interesting that, like, when I think of mobile print power, the images are what come to mind. The artwork is so beautiful, you know? And I, and I really hope that we make space to talk about what, what the aesthetic what these aesthetic choices, what the design choices mean to the group, how you've come to them. Um, You know, I'm looking at an image of like four fists with like kind of little sparkly emanations coming off of them, you know, symbolizing solidarity and, and, and group solidarity. And then I'm also looking at on my wall right next to me is this awesome screen print with glow in the dark ink of a blue creature with a brain, with one big eye on it, holding their hands up and like a, I don't know what that symbol is when you have the, the pinky and the forefinger and the thumb it's, out. Um, the, the love sign in ASL. Love, yeah, so love with ASL and it has like eyeballs and eyelashes on each hand. And then for the feet, there are hands for the feet and they're clutching pencils and paper and their hands are up in the air with the mobile print power, you know, group solidarity symbol. And it's like, 
this is one of my favorite things in the world. And it's only an addition of 20. <laughs> Someone's a monthly sustainer. <laughs> Somebody is. And it's um, just to say, like, there's so much love and beauty and joy and playfulness and togetherness in the imagery that the group produces and shares with the world. And so if this isn't the exact moment, I am mindful that I want to ask Marshall what he was about to say. But um, I want that to hang in our heads as we pursue all these other ways of understanding what mobile print power is. I think when it gets down to it, it is about kind of home and community. And that's, I wanted to talk about um, just the process right before the art was made, because what always impressed me about mobile print power is the collective and collaborative commitment to making art. Um, isn't limited to the group. Like you very often interface with the public and the public becomes part of the art making. And so I'm wondering if both of you could talk about that, you know, generous kind of loving extension of creativity to where you're interfacing with people on the streets or people in all these projects and the art itself is made collectively and collaboratively, um, both within and without the, um, you know, the boundaries of the initial collective group. I, I, as you're asking about that, I have this like memory from one of the um, workshop, public workshops that we did at the Brooklyn Museum as part of their Target for Saturdays, you know, many years back. And, you know, this was at a time when, you know, there were a lot of, actions going on in terms of um immigrant rights in this country and we had a question in one of our collecting books that was about displacement and i think the questions that we write we often try to think about how could many types of people and ages answer these and i remember this um parent and their child came up to the the book and first of all parents always think like oh kid you do it and they never get involved and so we always have to tell them like no it's for you too mm -hmm. but I remember the question about displacement this this little kid drew um you know a picture of a crib or something and then they we asked them about it which if someone wants to answer that's great if not that's totally fine too and they just said like I remember feeling displaced when my little brother was born or something like Aww. that which like um yeah. is kind of this I, I mean it's it is sad but it also to me is just like emblematic of the way that also when we think of these questions and we interface with the public we're sort of not always anticipating, but we're, we're thinking about them in a particular way. And so the responses that you get from people, especially in working with, you know, anyone who might walk up to your table or to the cart with us is like, we never know what's going to happen. And so like those things stand out to us. Then when we come back as a, as a group to start making the graphic imagery, um, based on what we collect in those books, um, and I just kind of have always found that like a little funny twist, at least for me and in the way that I think about the work. Back when Mobile Print Power was part of Engaged Editions, it was, I believe it was curated by Amy Lusty. It was definitely organized by Amy Lusty. And um, you guys had put together your infamous chill space. I think it's called chill space. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And I was chilling 
in the chill space on the blanket with the pillows because I likely was tired from the long, tedious work day of emailing. And and you happened to be there. And uh, I, I guess I had never connected like what these books were. And you were just like, open it and draw something. And it felt so like, even as somebody who identifies as a visual artist, who is a, you know, a drawer, I felt kind of scared, like really intimidated to do it. Um, but you're just like, here, pencil, draw, like just kind of launched me into the confrontation of doing it. And I ended up spending like an hour, maybe just like drawing ideas. And so um, that was a major click in my head of like, oh, I understand this is one, this is a modality that you guys are a, a, a technology that you guys have developed for yourselves to like gather feedback. But I wonder if you could talk a little bit about maybe Jose, you can talk about like how the book kind of came to be, you know, came to become part of the way that you're doing this collectively made work. Um, yeah, and, um, and yeah, totally. Well, first thing, let me paint a picture of the chill space. Okay. So you have like, <laughs> you have like a corner of a wall. Sometimes we artificially make with drywall with like blankets and designs all on them. On the floor, you have a blanket of all our designs on them also and a shelf with just books. And we implore people to sit down and relax for a minute. So that's great. Also, this is the second time someone's told me that I've done this thing where I just throw a book at them, have them draw, <laughs> and they just do it and lose themselves in it. One yep. of our members, um, Max, he came, he saw us at a protest, and he came to our weekly meetings, and immediately I did the same methodology I did with you. Where I was like, here's the book, draw something, You, I believe in you, you got this. And since then, you stuck around. And it was a high stakes, like, design this thing for his public project for lamppost in the garden. He's like, you're trusting me, you know, you just met me right. I'm like, yes. <laughs> uh, but the books themselves, so I say more profile, we have two types of books. We have, like, one book, which is our more refined book with all just designs and graphics on them. And then we have, like, the like the the blueprint book like the book where all the designs come from and they're usually like these big books that sometimes patrick sews together that have a question in english and spanish and it could be like how jess men mentioned um when have you felt displaced in both english and spanish that inside make people draw or write their answers and i think one good thing about the book and going to public spaces is that we might never see these people again and they don't have to write their name or attach their name to their artwork or their thoughts. So there's kind of like a feeling of they could say what's actually on their mind or draw anything they wouldn't share publicly with anyone. I think that's like a key aspect of like the book itself. It's like a diary. Yeah, it's a diary that we then read as a group later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a live journal. Yeah. And what do you, what do, you do with them? That's how we generate our designs. We look at the books that people write, what they draw, and we see common themes and ideas of like the general publics and then make designs based off that question and those answers. How many books are there and, and where are they? They're like in a storage facility, somewhere in the Bronx, I believe, and some of them are in <laughs> Patrick's house. Uh, some <laughs> other ones are in the Bronx Museum, probably. Some are probably Jess's closet right now. <laughs> Do you have any idea of like how many you've amassed over the last nine years? There should be over a hundred by now. 
Wow. Oh yeah. I would imagine a lot more. Cause I feel like every workshop we did, we would have at least like three, three. or four at a table. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of them. And I was going to add too, you mentioned our style. I think one of the main things that incorporate our style is the public generated graphics, but also as just mentioned, most parents just like, they don't throw their kids at us, but they look at us, they think it's arts and crafts. So the kids are mostly the ones that draw on the books and kids will draw anything, even if it doesn't make sense. And we love that. Well, it just seems to me it'd be great to have a public institution have the archive of your books so that they could be centralized and available to people to look at because I'm sure they're amazing and they document this incredible ongoing process. So this might be a spoiler, but I think in the box sets, there's some like photos of like designs people drew in the books that eventually wow. you could see how it becomes a final graphic or what how the oh, final graphics is inspired nice. by spoiler so cool. <laughs> and it, i mean this might be a little granular too but do you guys make the books or do you buy them where you get where do the books come from we make them um like jose said one of our members um Patrick usually usually fabricates them in his home or office studio. <laughs> and you also have your edition books that are, you know, books of artwork, usually on kind of a topical theme. And and those are amazing also. And and you've done the a lot of those are project based, if I'm not mistaken, that they're they're generated from specific projects. I'm wondering if you could talk about those. Yeah. Um they're all um, by hand design silkscreen printed by one of us or all of us and hand sewed I believe or either use of a staple gun I forget which one but I believe in my first actual meeting with Mo Print Power that my friends made me go to we were printing <laughs> books for Streetwise and it was the edition books too and Patrick just threw the squeegee and was like get to printing I'm like this is for your, like, final edition book, and you're trusting me, who's never done silk screen printing. He's like, just do it three times to get the hang of it. But, you know, that's all interesting because there's something about the collective and the collaborative when you get rid of authorship, when you get rid of um, kind of that burden of individual identity that saturates the kind of corporate art world, um, there's really a large space to work in, right? You're, you, it, it's not just anonymity. It's the fact that you know that you're you're part of something else. So, you know, your name doesn't matter as much. And then for people who have kind of issues in terms of their name being used publicly, for instance, that's no longer an issue either. Um, but I think there's something supportive about making that collaborative environment i mean otherwise you throw the pencil at people and they're just going to kind of walk away if 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 the intentionality isn't there if this the i mean throwing a pencil at someone in the chill space is pretty chill like they're they're already ready they're already chilling you're, you're giving them the pencil I mean, for me, like I, that, that stands out completely. Like that was part of the appeal for me. I'd had a practice as, you know, an artist in high school. I didn't go to art school. And by the time I was in my like early mid twenties, I was just like, I really miss this, but I'm too scared. Like, 
Mm. I was scared to put myself out there. And so having mobile print power allowed me to kind of like tap into that creative side of myself without having to feel like I was putting too much, like taking too much of a risk. Um, And it provided like a community for me to engage with artwork in a way that I wanted to, but also to like expand my own practice as an artist. So um, one thing I wanted to mention was that um, Mobile Print Power has a chapter in Bookland's book, Freedom of the Presses, that addresses a lot of those issues that Jose and Jessica were just talking about, like this, you know, operating collectively, operating collaboratively. And, um, I, you know, I was the editor of that book, and I just thought I had to have mobile print power in that book because you can't have a book called Freedom of the Presses that doesn't include an organization that has a press that actually is mobile and is freed from any space and can actually travel around the city. I, I, I think that was like a great reality, but also a great symbol of, of freedom, like the epitome of Freedom of the Presses. Um, so in that chapter, you talked a lot about the process and um, the book was published in 2018, I think. And you were talking about kind of 2015 through 17 mostly. And um, has things changed since that time in terms of the group or the practice or the process or the output? I don't believe much has changed because immediately after we did those conversations in those books, the pandemic happened. Mm. So I, I would say one thing that, that did change was the way we engage with our press. We changed from silk screen printing to like linographing at home, message, sending each other boxes mm. of like lino to carve. Uh, <laughs> and so trying to make a press at home, all of us with like oil paints, making postcards. <laughs> like ruining our desk and our clothes. Uh, but the, the, the press did change given the pandemic and us instead of public, publicly facing, just doing, holding stuff down on Zoom. But regarding like authorships and like freedom of design and all that, I believe those conversations are always ongoing within the group. And it's something we, as we say a lot of times, it takes a lot of a lot of time for us to make decisions because there's like eight brains trying to like man this one collective. So I, I have a question. Well, let me rephrase that. You had a question that you asked yourselves that I'm just going to flip right back to you and say it out loud. And what I mean by that is it's one of the questions that you included in the box set, which is like kind of a you asked yourself a series of seven questions And the eighth element was a statement. Um, And these are fantastic. And I will not read them all straight through. I'll include these in the show notes because I think they're excellent. Um, But this question I'm going to flip back to you to ask you to answer, um, I think has tension in it. Well, I certainly see tension in it. But um, it is, what is our place in the art world? Capital A, capital W. And what is our place in the community? I also would like to just tack that onto what we've been talking about, which in part is about authorship Um, and the ways in which Bookland has been engaged with, um, you know, in some ways are not entirely within the collective's control. So I know that, you know, you've collaborated with the groups that are within the art world. You've collaborated with groups who might be identified more popular as community groups or have more like community investments 
And I think in the toggling of those spaces, and as much as we assume those are two different spaces, which is totally an argument that you've made, um, how, what, what types of friction have you confronted and resolved as a group? And can you answer that with a little bit of awareness of how that might relate to the authorship of the graphics or the authorship of the group, meaning who gets credited with the group's work most often? Um, in the art world, I think um, some frictions that would happen sometimes is as a multi-generational group, many art communities or art institutional sectors in New York City are used to form hierarchy. And when talking to us, they will default to that form of hierarchy. And sometimes that will cause friction, especially when we were much younger, <laughs> like high school or like just out of um, just starting college. Of, most of the correspondence will either go straight to Patrick or be um, Patrick Rowe and the mobile print power kids on emails. And we're like, why mobile print power kids? <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the conversation's like that. But also, I think one part, I don't know if we really speak on it on um, the book, but sometimes we speak internally. Um, a lot of art cultural institutions in New York City are predominantly white and many of we are multi-generational and also multiracial. So a lot of us going to these public spaces, that sometimes that is present and we acknowledge that, especially with some projects, but also how we talked about those issues. Who do people prioritize first in their hierarchy? Like they talk to Patrick's first. He's the older cis white man in the group. Why did it go straight to him first and trying to break down those hierarchies and how we collaborate with groups and people and how we like conduct ourselves? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's like been the predominant issue that we've faced over the years. And um, I mean, it's, it's really layered, like on the one hand, if you think about the kind of age, the multi-generational aspect of it, you know, like um at that time when I first started you know I was out of college and a lot of the other people were still in high school or earlier on and so we are brought up in these systems of hierarchies and so questions would come up of like well can you do this can you can you make this happen and I feel like at, from the perspective of being older in the group it was always like you can do it you know like I don't you don't need to have me to be the one to reach out I can help but I absolutely like the power is in your hand. It's not my choice to make. Um, so I think like internally, that was a, a time where we got to flex the opportunity of living outside of um, these structures that are often placed on us as, as people of different ages. And then like Jose is saying, we would come up to institutions and, and every every institution or organization within the art world would approach us differently. And sometimes we had relationships, like actual relationships with um, institutions or organizations. And so we knew people and they knew us as a collective and understood how we worked. Other times we were kind of like hired to appear, I guess, um, mm. and be present or sort of like 
have our work and collaboration be there, but not have the work be even credited. You know, that question of crediting and our work is interesting, but like not even necessarily have our work be credited properly as a collective, let alone any sort of individual who had a, maybe a more um, forward leaning role in it. And so that came up over the last couple of years. I think like with all of these varieties, there's, you know, uh, city institutions would, you know, we would get a grant to do a project. We thought we were doing one thing and then we realized like it actually had harmful impacts on the community. So that was something we had to reckon with. Um, so it's really challenging in terms of like what our place is within those two intersecting things of art world versus community and how they do overlap versus see one another as separate from time to time. Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a really complicated issue. And, um, but I think there are really positive aspects of it that um, mobile print power embodies. And from my perspective, you know, New York City is, yeah, it's the center of the corporate art world, but it's also kind of its own center for this community and alternative and underground art world. And I've always been interested in collective and collaborative groups. So there's, um, you know, groups that are more political, groups that are more social, groups that are more focused on the artwork. But I think mobile print power is part of this New York City um, alternative tradition. It's like an alternative art history and it's the, the lines between community and art and um, politics kind of get blurry, but it's a pretty um, substantial part of our cultural legacy and you mentioned the young lords in your um, text and you could even go to the music industry and think about Wu-Tang Clan you can go back to the art world and think about group material and the Gorilla Girls so um, these are all really successful collectives collaborative groups and I think mobile print power is part of that history and I think that's really important and maybe just, you know, because Marshall knows I'm going to reference this at some point, uh, Jose, Jose, when you were, you know, talking about how, you know, some people will think of it as like, you know, Patrick Rowe and the printmaking kids, that just reminded me so strongly of like Tim Rollins' Kids of Survival, which, you know, if anyone's listening, you either know about it or you can Google it, but was a kind of a flash in the art world. Uh, you know, it was sent, I mean, I can't be like, a, you know, super knowledgeable about it. I'm not expert, but they, you know, it was a project that was undertaken in the South Bronx. Um, but I can imagine there are moments that depending on, you know, from what communities or institutions you're coming from, you might just assume that mobile print power is existing within that legacy, as opposed to some of the ones that you name on your site, which are, Black Panther Party and um, the Young Lords and and maybe some of the other ones that Marshall mentioned. But I wondered if if Jess and Jose, if you wanted to, are there other influences or even like, you know, inroads to how you guys function that you personally feel are part of, you know, a legacy of of group work? Um, I can speak on a little bit legacy of group work and how we like conduct ourselves. I think Jess mentioned it briefly on um not the friction, but there's always a friction because we're always evolving and growing and many of us are young and growing at the same time where if we wanted to do events or we're interested in some events or people are reaching out, Patrick and Jess, like who's interested in this event and they would offer support, 
for half us like fully handle the whole thing. Uh-huh. Like <laughs> at one point we're all like nineteen, eighteen, and twenty, trying to like run an international like art practice space and LA media conference. <laughs> and Pat and Jess are just in the corner chilling, going like, "We're not going, but we'll help you write the stuff and like edit your work." <laughs> and it's just the rest of the five of us stressed out. <laughs> but you guys had an amazing time. Um, I will we, say <laughs> we got the work done. But there, there's always been that friction, or if there be yeah. people reaching out to us specifically, like we want the more pin power kids or the teens, or there's like a teen event. <laughs> Um, yeah, can we does. hire you Literally to one. just come and do it? There was, there was yes. a, the teens yeah. take the high line and they reached out, and we were interested in it. And Pat and Jess were just like, Well, we're not teenagers. <laughs> I think there was an age limit, Jose. Like, we were literally yeah. too old. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, tension pumps out of that. Yeah. <laughs> No, I can see oh. that. I mean, I, I, I feel like I've picked up on some of it. And, you know, to be fair, it's like there, you know, I, in my experience, stepping into the mobile print power space, um, I do have a feeling like whatever it is you're doing, I just want you to do it over and over again. And I think um, what you, I think, offer any inquiry that is just that blind of like, I love what you do. Can you come do what you do? I think the way your mechanisms for doing it help to educate people on what it is that you're actually doing versus what it is that it looks like you're doing, which is, I think, what people like to lean into the most, like most instinctively. Mm. But I think the way that you handle it also does is part. Of, it feels like that's part of your work. It kind of it's the waves that come out of it is what people learn through the process of you responding to those inquiries. And I was going to add also um Something that also helped us, I guess, a lot of us younger members, me, Jennifer, and Brandon, and I believe Haley at the time, were also part of um, EMI Krona, which is then a Center Krona's like, um, leadership council. And that was also another multi-generational space of leadership. And we did have like some political education training on how to handle those type of works and conversations. So that was like in the back burner while we're also participating in more print power. Yeah, and I think I think out of that too, Jose, we also came up with like the things that people don't see, Monica, like you're saying. Like we as a collective, I mean, we haven't even revisited this in a long time, but we don't really engage with projects unless we have um a minimum of three of our members available and interested in participating. Um because it is collective based. And so we need each other's support in order to move forward with the project. Um, And so that kind of plays into also what those dynamics look like and and the support that we get from one another. That also came from a place of like friction of people feeling burnt out from doing several events by themselves or just with two people. And that's how conversations that the minimum would be like, three people at like a public event because sometimes it gets too overstimulating it can be a lot and you guys are going with like you know at times you know with a whole screen printing setup and answering questions and changing out paint and mixing it and then dealing with problems and 
you know, introducing a lot of people to screen printing who've never done it before. So you're educating, you're project managing, you're doing so much. So three seems like kind of the minimum number you'd want to roll with. I'd like to turn to the box set for a minute. Um, because I imagine to a certain extent, this podcast might be, you know, a, a support or informative to like, you know, someone who may be looking at the box set within a classroom, um, you know, at the institutions that that these will eventually find their way to. Um, and I wonder if, you know, you know, on the one hand, I just want to hear about what that process was, because I know, you know, way back when a lot of us jumped on a Zoom call and we were like, what is this box set project? What could it look like? And what would the components be? And so I kind of, you know, spoke on behalf of what Bookland does um, in terms of like supporting the creation of these projects to just help you know, like what what the goals are, where it typically ends up or what our archival slash, you know, activist lens is, which is, you know, use as preservation. But what you pulled together, I feel like, wasn't just what I was expecting, which was just like, oh, what materials do we have in our collection and how can we curate what we already have that will sort of tell the story of mobile print power. But what you actually did is you made yourself a whole new project. Um, and I sort of want to ask you, why did you do that? <laughs> what, you know, it's like on the one hand, I'm always thinking, why did you make more work for yourself? But, you know you obviously benefited from it. And I think this is part of your practice is that you lean into these opportunities to work together to make more of your work. Um, so could you talk a bit about like, you know, why, why did you choose this road? <laughs> maybe some insights and like, well, maybe we wouldn't do it that way now. I'll, th I'll say, I think we took the box set project as like an introspective of us as a collective at the given moment, but also of like the past nine years, close to 10 years. Yeah, I I would definitely agree with that. I think, uh, you know, you mentioned it was 2021. I was just like kind of furiously searching through my inbox thinking, because I feel like it was longer than this. And maybe it's something that was happened casually in conversation, but we've had this idea in the back of our heads. And then, you know, we've alluded to it a couple of times, things shifted so much for us during the pandemic that doing this box that allowed us the opportunity, like Jose said, to be introspective and to kind of like think about all of the work that we've done and, and where we want to go from here. Um, and it also, you know, Jose just mentioned a couple minutes ago, we were able to just do host a workshop at PS122 in the East Village and look through the box set and use it as um, an opportunity to facilitate a workshop around what we do. And hopefully that it becomes a way for other people to, you know, in the same way that we drew inspiration from other groups, like you mentioned, or the Young Lords or Black Panthers or other artists. Um, hopefully they'll take our methodology and, and use it in spaces in their own way. I also like to add on, I do believe after those meetings, we had like an internal open power meeting. Where we we're like, okay, what do we want in this box? This is our box. Like, what do we want? And then we're like, podcasts, <laughs> photos, Polaroids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and then that leads me to go. Okay, what's up with the with the M and M's? Because you obviously said we want M and M's, and there we need the M and M's. What is that? <laughs> the M and M's probably the M and M's preclude both Jose and I. Uh, They're a senior member. Yeah, they like are from the very first workshop that um, mobile are they archival M and M's? They don't last uh, so long. It's hard, just like a, a replica. <laughs> 
there is yeah. we did do um we had a vitrine our exhibition at interference archive many years ago and and there was the original M&M in there. So, you know, like, who's to say which I mean, was this, are getting? Are they there because they, like, you needed to have snacks that would, like, sustain the energy required? Yes. No. Is that it? Okay. <laughs> They're lucky. Okay. They're lucky. The lucky M&Ms. And then I see, like, faux currency, which is such a great thing to talk about nowadays, too. But, um... So there's mobile print power exchange for print instruction. Is that is that currency that you created? Yeah. Yeah. How I, did I that think, get used? I think you usually get to use it more in public spaces because sometimes it's hard to manage who actually wrote in the book, who are you letting print? Because I think one of the main things we focus on is an exchange with community members. Uh-huh. And it's, um, we will teach you. The process of silkscreen printing and you will print something and you're able to keep it and leave this workshop with it. But as an exchange, we want you to help us generate graphics for our next public <laughs> workshop where we'll be teaching Aww. people also based on a design inspired by the responses in this book. So we will always like have people, usually people come towards us because it looks like an ice cream truck or like a hot dog truck. Yeah, <laughs> and then we're like, it's art making, and they're like, oh, I'm already here. So we're just like, just draw something in the book, respond to it. It could be written, it could be a poem, it could be like a small phrase, it could be stick figures, it could be colorful, abstract. And once you're done with that, if you're proud of it, we'll give you this faux mobile print power currency. And there's a little rippable tab where once they have the money, they present it to the member that's printing, and we just rip the tab. Uh-huh. And then teach them how to print. But sometimes you just don't even rip the tab, the, the tab anymore. We just you can keep the dollar too. But we'll teach you how to print. The dollar is enough. We know. Well, what I totally love about that is that um, the mobile print power cart, which you were mentioning, like the cart that opens up, and you, so you're actually printing on, you know, on the cart. Um, it it does look like a street vendor cart. And and it seems like in Corona, that's like super appropriate. Like that's part of the culture there. And it's interesting that it reflects, you know, like why doesn't every street corner have a mobile print power cart along with the other food carts and all the, you know, all the drink carts? It seems like that's the kind of future I would want to live in. And that seems like that's the kind of future mobile print power is creating, that just by putting forth that idea it's almost like instant solidarity with the community. Like just that, that uh, you know, like I said before, this freedom of the presses, the press that can go, you know, go around wherever it, it needs to be. But, um, and, and there's actually some historical precedents for that, that I just thought of that I wanted to mention. There's a, uh, there was a, a printer um, in uh, France who during the student revolutions in the 1968, he, bolted a press, a letter press to his pickup truck, and he would ride around to make um, prints and manifestos for whoever was speaking, um, Johannes uh, Strugala. And he would drive around to process and say, oh, do you need a poster? Oh, do you need? And he would set type in the back of his truck and he would like print it up right there. And he would make posters at one event for, you know, meetings that came and he would just print it all right there. So, 
uh, I mean, I think those are like really wonderful and sort of revolutionary practices. So I, I, I like that idea of someone like running over to get a hot dog and going, oh, I'm going to learn how to make screen prints instead. Okay. Well, you know, there's still an exchange there. And I, I like that. It, there's that reflection of the, the community culture, like a vibrant street culture. One thing I did want to mention, too, uh, that I was sort of reminiscing about with Marshall yesterday is that at the inter the exhibition at Interfer Interference Archive in 2016, which happened to be um, a few months after um, I had I had my my first and only child. So I was a new parent, very exhausted, you know, kind of, you know, didn't know what the hell I was doing and would visit Interference Archive quite a bit because it's in my neighborhood. My partner um, is, well, we're both volunteers there. And I spent a lot of time in the chill zone too. Um, and I think, I think maybe at that point I didn't draw anything in the books or even pay attention because I was so tired, but <laughs> it was, I mean, just to add another, like, you know, accessibility, you know, part of your, your art production model is like, I could be there with an infant a new, a new parent. And it just provided a place for me to relax. And it was a very comforting space to be in to then contemplate the work that I was seeing. So I really deeply appreciate that. And it's sort of part of also my history of coming to know your work as providing space to, to relax and to look at artwork. We haven't talked about it a lot, but I think that sometimes your work really addresses issues uh, especially of the Corona community or of the communities that you're invited um, to participate in, you know, and do events. So anyone want to field, um, you know, just describing a little bit of, of that kind of um, interface with the community, solidarity with the community, projects within the community. I hate to keep saying this, but the pandemic really slowed us down in terms of that community work. Like we are working actively to try to get back in the space. Um, you know, we've alluded to the challenge of scheduling as a collective and all those sorts of things. But I know that members of the group were recently together for just in-person printing in order to like inspire ourselves to start working again in person and be with the community. So we're very, um, we've tried to support Centro Corona and the mutual aid work that they do throughout the pandemic. Um, one of the projects that we did was called Propagate. I kind of talked about this earlier and where we were working with a couple artists and the, the money that went, that was, raised by people purchasing these postcards went to a few different places to the artists who collaborated with us to mutual aid organization of their choosing and then some of it went just into um getting those supplies like jose was talking about the lino and you know the ink for each of us to do our own cuts and then make the prints at home so we could addition postcards ourselves individually in a safe way during the pandemic so we're working towards getting back to being in person. I think that our commitment really centers around Queens and around Corona specifically. And there've been times when our work has taken us to a lot of different places, but we always want to focus back um, in that route. And so I think it's an ongoing process where we're trying to be as engaged and part of the community as possible. 
Yeah, I'd like to add on too. I think there's some moments where we're more focused in like the art world in New York City. And as Jess mentioned earlier, sometimes the art world and our community do collide. And how do we tackle those issues? There were a few moments where those collisions were really serious and we did take a break as a group and reflected on our principles and went back to the eight principles. What do we stand for? How do we conduct ourselves and hold true to both like our art practice and also our community? And since then, we've been more deliberate on who we collaborate with, what questions we make, and what goals do we want out of our collaborations, not just to collaborate with like a big institution, but how does this benefit our community also? Is there anything that you might want to tell people just to to say on behalf of the group or on behalf of your experience in Mobile Print Power that you may not have had the opportunity to say recently or at all? Um, I, I, I can add something, Gasman Jess. I think it's not just us. As we mentioned, we ask ourselves questions in the box and one of them is, um, do we like each other? Do we like hanging out? Are we friends? <laughs> I believe it's the general station of the question. It seems like a funny question, but it's also like a serious one. Like, why do we keep coming back to this work? There's very often times where each of us individually take like a sabbatical for a few months because it's just um, burnout. But also one refreshing part of the, the Zoom meetings, the weekly drawing sessions was uh, for me personally, an, an escape from the mundaneness of the pandemic and being locked up at home and seeing familiar faces. And I was talking about like, what's wh- how are we dealing with it? What's happening? Are we all okay? And just having a fun space to play music on Zoom, sharing audio and just drawing. And through drawing, we're also talking about how the pandemic was affecting us and our community and that's within our illustrations. So it was very therapeutic for me, myself. So beyond just making artwork, we really do value our interpersonal connections. That's beautiful. And I noticed that you guys talk about, you know, and you talk about love as as part of the work that you do. And I think that's so wonderful and unique. Absolutely agree with Jose on that. You know, I'm glad he brought that up. Um, I think that it's challenging, especially for both of us. And most of us now have been part of Mobile Print Power for a long time. And and we've also talked about this a few times, like it takes a while for us to make work. Um, the box set that we're really excited about, like it's been, like you said, Monica, it's, we went big and it's been a process. Like it's a ton of work and multiple iterations of us, you know, printing in person versus at home conversations, podcast recordings are internally that then get translated to answers to these various questions we've talked about. And now we're in a phase of translating <clears throat> everything into Spanish. And, um, you know, like Jose was just saying, we enjoy this and it's a break, but I feel like we also really support each other. Um, I, Spanish is not my first language, but I'm bilingual and I'm, I'm not a translator, but I had volunteered to translate some of the portions um, of descriptions of our work. And Jose jumped in there and helped me out without me even having to ask. So, it's that kind of support that I really appreciate and and recognize is really special in the work that we do. Whereas, you know, in other settings, you're sort of constantly poking and prodding people to, to show up for you. Like, I think even in times when it's only one person who shows up to our workshop or two, we're all there for one another. And that that means a lot. 
the last comments were so solidly about um, some of the themes that um, I really appreciate in terms of the principles are, uh, and in a lot of the other texts, there's you know a principle about just being wholly there, you know, being paying attention, um, bringing yourself fully and wholly to um, the task at hand, and and to interacting with the group and interacting with the community, and I I think that is really uh, a beautiful concept, a beautiful principle, and I think it's been reiterated many times, and I I think there's also an important principle about. Um, not tolerating violence and not having violent words, not using violent actions. And I think those two things are really interrelated. And I think um, I want to thank the both of you for really, um, I don't know, being fully here for th this uh, interview and for this podcast, because I think it's, it's a good example of what um, I think lots of people love about mobile print power. And I know that even beyond Brooklyn, Brooklyn is totally excited about this box set, but there's a whole, com you know, I think our community is excited about this box set. So absolutely, um, that's really great. And it's really great to hear you give this kind of comprehensive backstory to, to that and to the group in general. So thank you so much. And I also want to give a shout to just, um, you know, other members of the group too, because I know, it, you know, it would be great to have more people on, but I'll just run through. I'll say, you know, just just Epstein and Jose Benitez. Thank you so much for being here. But there's also Haley, Marissa, Max, Jennifer, Patrick, Brandon, Larone, Stephanie and Eric. And there might be more, but this is the most recent list that I had. So I want to say thank you to all of you at Mobile Print Power. Um, also worth mentioning, if you are listening and you are a librarian or uh, a special collections librarian or a curator at an education institution, and this is the type of thing that you are looking for for your curriculum or for your research collections, please reach out to us, uh, Marshall or Monica. You can reach us at hello at brooklyn.org. Um, I'm not sure when this podcast will come out, so I'll just venture a guess and say that you could probably find the box set, the Mobile Print Power box set, at brooklyn.org. Let's hope and cross our fingers that we can edit this in time. And then also there's, uh, I'll put a lot of stuff in the show notes, but you can reach Mobile Print Power through the miracle of Google, but mobileprintpower.com is the website, at mprintpower is their Instagram handle, and um just, I think it's worth noting too that on your website, there's lots of free graphics to download that are just such a fun way to engage with the work that you do. Um, and it's really easy in a snapshot to see how you do stuff on Instagram because there's lots of images of the whole group in public spaces working. Um, thank you again, Jess and Jose, for joining us. And we'll see you next time on Brooklyn Calling. Goodbye. This podcast was made possible in part by funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs and in partnership with the City Council and from individual donors to Brooklyn, Inc. You can support this podcast by making a donation at brooklyn.org slash donate.